All right, welcome back to the PHLY Sixers podcast. I'm Derek Potner, joined this time by Kyle Newbeck. How you doing, Kyle? I'm hanging in, Derek. It is a late September Friday. It is. We are only this show away from media day and the start of training camp and no actual Sixers things happening. So I think you and I have been looking at this show specifically. It's like this is the marker. We we made it through the the worst part of the off season. <laughs> and now it's, you know, it's it's go time. We're gonna be full time on the grounds, gonna be out in Colorado next week. And so I'm I'm pretty fired up, honestly. Yeah, no, it is. This is our last show before um, Media Day on Monday. We will be having a show after Media Day, so we will react to that. And then we'll be off to Colorado for training camp in Fort Collins. I want to thank Nick Nurse for picking that location. Easy to get to, not inconvenient at all. Actually, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. I've never, I've been in Denver. I've never been anywhere in Colorado outside of Denver. So I'm, I'm looking forward to exploring it a little bit, even though our schedule is pretty packed. But it will be great to, this is the last show where I feel like we have to come up with a topic for at least a little while, because after that, Can we will have stuff. Can you guys believe it? Derek and I have actually had to do work over the last you know, we've two had to and a half do, like, weeks. What? 15 hours of podcasting when nothing yeah. has changed. I'm just looking forward to something changing, something to analyze, some new information to come out. It, uh, it'll be great. Yeah, be so great. I see what's up to Will, what's up to Randy. Ishmael is very depressed and concerned about saying they're not going to be able to acquire Drew Holiday. I would say I'm not as pessimistic as No, Ishmael I wouldn't is. make them the favorite, but I think there's certainly a chance. And I certainly think there is an appetite from the Sixers' perspective to try. It's just will they have the, uh, the most to offer? Will they have the biggest uh, bid to make? For sure. Uh, and I would say to follow up on your Colorado point, that's my first time ever in Colorado okay. this coming week. So I'm looking forward to coming back with takes about how overrated the altitude okay. thing is. Okay. Knowing that I'm not going to be doing do any like, kind of physical activity. I was going to say, like, are we going to go there? on a jog and compare it to what we normally do? Like, <laughs> how, how do we do that? Yeah, listen, I'm just trying to, I'm getting in. Is it going to be tougher to do an hour mode. of podcasting out there? Or are, we, are we judging it by that? That's something we're only going to know once we get there, but... As Kyle we'll mentioned, though, there are, you can, if you want to interact with us during the show, uh, go subscribe, hit the bell notification, get notifications on YouTube. There is a live chat component to this show. We do try to pick out some comments and some questions from there. Also, we will probably have some time towards the end of it. So if you are currently in the chat, please do leave us a question. We will see if we have time at the end to address that. So I guess like we alluded to, there is uh, this is our last show before we actually get information to discuss. Outside of maybe a Kelly Oubre signing, there really hasn't been direct Sixers news that changes very quickly. So we kind of wanted this to be sort of a recap. Um, some of the major storylines we're looking forward to coming into training or uh, media day, coming into training camp, and it would be tough to start anywhere anywhere else other than does James Harden show up on Monday, and if he does, how does the teammates and coach react, and if he doesn't, how do they react? Yeah, so. The I would say at this point, signs are pointing or it's trending toward James won't be there at media day. I think if he's not there, I wouldn't expect him to just drop in in Fort Collins, Colorado. That just doesn't, it seems like it's either one or the other. Either he shows up, he lights everybody on fire at media day, is a pain in the ass in Colorado, or he just decides, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hanging out and doing my own thing for the time being. And I know that there are some reports out there that 
people don't think he's coming. I don't think anyone really knows. Like right. you could say, I have my my instinct of what I think is going to happen. I have what people have told me, but I think as James Harden has shown, he is not the normal trade requester. As we said right. on the show, the best to ever unlace the shoes. So that's step number one. Step number two is the fallout from that. And I guess like the, we'll call them the side characters in the James Harden saga. I think you and I have talked a lot this week, Derek, about PJ Tucker and maybe what he says at media day on Monday, because, you know, not only has he spoken out for James publicly this summer, essentially taking his side. I also think there's the angle of he's been thrown in a lot of these trade rumors, right? There's a, there's been a suggestion that perhaps if James is moved, PJ goes with him and it's almost a a package deal. So how PJ feels about Daryl specifically, how he feels about the situation and, you know, is he, coming here with a professional approach because when James left Houston, PJ was left behind for a little bit. And I, I certainly think he was not on. Wasn't his, the best stretch of PJ's yeah, career. Yeah. It was not the best yep. that PJ has ever played or the most professional run of his career when James left Houston and went to Brooklyn. So I think PJ honestly is one of the people I really want to talk to the most on Monday. And Honestly, we'll probably have as much insight into this whole thing as anybody. Yeah, it'll be great to get his perspective on it because, you know, how much does he side with Harden or how much is he just kind of ride or die with Harden? Yeah. You know, if you had to, PJ right now up to this point in his career has made $68 million. How much of that do you think you can directly attribute to James Harden creating corner threes? Probably at least half of it. Like he's made a, you know, last six or seven years, he's making eight, nine, 10, 11 million dollars per year. I think James getting him easy shots has helped show off what he can do on a basketball court. I think he feels a strong connection with James, loyalty to James. Does he actually side with James or is it just sort of like, that's his guy and he's going to go to bat for him? Uh, I think that's certainly a question. And to your point, like PJ has admitted he doesn't get up for every like, you know, January game against the Wizards. Like he does a playoff game. If you then combine that with the fact that maybe he's in these trade talks, he feels like he might be shipped out. He feels like his, you know, his his boy in Harden is being wronged. I'm not going to say PJ is going to loaf it, but like PJ has to be playing at 120% to be an effective NBA starter. If he's playing at 80%, that might look a little worse than most players 80%. So we'll see what we get from him. PJ holding some back is not the same as Joel Embiid right. holding some back, or it's not the same as our old friend Jimmy Butler holding some back where they're they're waiting for the playoffs to go full go, you know, full defensive effort, full rebounding effort, things of that nature. When PJ is not full effort, it's it's like that line in office space. You know, so what is it you would say right. you do here? Right. There's not really anything because the three-point volume is so low that he's not even a, a reliable and credible spacing threat. So I love Kyle making a 90s reference. It makes me feel slightly less old. Well, office space, that's kind of, I feel like that's in your wheelhouse. A hundred percent. Yeah, I lived that life. That's a great movie yeah. if nobody's ever seen it. I don't know how old or young the, the chatters here are, but good, uh, good 90s flick with Jennifer Aniston, weirdly yeah. enough. Young yep. Jennifer Aniston. So yeah, I, I think... P.J. Tucker is a big inflection point at Media Day. We'll see what happens there. There was a question from, I believe, Brandon higher up that I I think is a a good one. Do you think that James would, if he's still on the team when the regular season starts, do you think James would skip games? I just say, 
I think he, I think the traditional route would be to skip, skip games, but yeah. I feel like the most damage he could do to the organization is, is to show up. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, and I think that's how James has gotten his way in the past, right? He's gone out on the floor and he's proven to be so destructive on the floor that the teams right. have been like, well, screw this guy. We don't want him here anymore. Right. <laughs> so he's going to actively... You're, when your lead ball handler and your primary point of attack defender is playing at 60% effort, it shows real obvious. It is... And also, like, then he can be in the locker room. He could be complaining. He could be talking to the media. He, there's just so much more pathways for him to be annoying if he's around the team than if he takes Ben Simmons' route, for sure. We do have at least one chatter, BDJ, who has seen office space because... They are telling me I am not wearing enough pieces of flair. Okay, which, that's a deep cut. You from do. That I have. Movie. I have two stickers. You have one, so I'm beating no, you I in have, flair. I have, I, okay, I have. You. I have two PHLY two stickers. I got a watch. I got that, a ring. That's not. Um, we're talking about PHLY flair. It's got to be flair related to. In, in that case, uh, it was a I don't restaurant. Know. I, that that yeah. might be stretching it, but yeah. So, so anyway, I, I do think that Harden can be more disruptive. There is and another direct tie into that movie with the David Duke. It was a perfectly fine name until that. That's a little too serious, but yeah, it works better with the Michael Bolton yeah, yeah. Yeah, character. Michael Bolton better, much better than David Duke in that context yeah. than every he, other. He context. still has to go by Dave. I just I don't understand why this isn't a thing. Sixers player David Duke, just right. so we're clear. Anyway, I do think that there's a, a balance here, right? Where Harden can be more disruptive and dysfunctional by being here, but is that going to help him accomplish what he wants, which is future payday, future security, get to the team he wants. Maybe not. That There's a possibility. We've talked about it a lot already. If he's super disruptive and teams are like, well, this guy is just a complete asshole who we can't trust at this point, they might look at it and say, okay, that's Daryl Morey and James's problem to deal with and say, like if you're the Clippers, the Clippers have been the big team that have, has been associated with a potential Harden trade. As we said yesterday, maybe they just say, well, screw this guy. We'll go after Drew Holiday instead, and that's the guy. So I think there is sort of a fine line to walk for Harden between um, being disruptive enough to get the hell out of Philly, right. but I'm not being too disruptive and screwing up my money down the line. You still need somebody to believe in you. And this is sort of like goes back to our entire debate about Harden. What really is the best way for him to get that next contract? it might be slightly different than the best way to get off of this team. Yeah. And I'm not sure he's fully bought into that. I still think there's a part of him that believes I'm James Harden and I'm going to get that money. It's the Sixers' fault for not giving to me, not my fault. So he might not necessarily have that perspective, but I agree with you. The other component is you need a team, preferably a number of teams, to believe in you and believe in your next contract. I'm just not sure that you're there. Yeah, so that, I mean, look, there will be a lot of national media people at media day, certainly at training camp. I already know a few of our our esteemed colleagues who will be there. They're all interested, just as we are, in how this Harden situation is going to play out. I don't think anybody can say they really know. As we said, you know, we've we've seen him blow up at press conferences. We've seen him the fat suit and all that. Well, that's I don't know that he ever actually put on a fat no. suit, but it's like just it's a figure of speech here. But he's done all sorts of different things to make sure he gets where he wants to go. So Ooh. I'm curious what the final act is going to be here. I can't I can't imagine there'll be another trade request after this, but I guess I would have said the same thing 
after he left Brooklyn. It was interesting in Brooklyn because at first he tried to do like the diplomatic behind the scenes, you know, talk to people, but not outwardly show that he wanted off the team. And then he just stopped caring. Like his effort just completely nosedived. Um, so, yeah, it will definitely he's, he's tried multiple different ways, including, you know, running off to wasn't Vegas. Where did he run off to before Rockets training camp? I forget. It doesn't matter. But he ran off away from the team. He was to party during COVID. Baby, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. I don't know where, though. He's gone about this many different ways. I got to say the the whole sign, um, Daryl Morey is a liar, might be the most creative one. A little childish, maybe, or at least a little petty, but maybe the most creative one. It will be interesting to see where this goes from here, for sure. And I guess the other way to sort of tie into that, how does Joel react? And we've seen Joel react with, you know, Ben Simmons. And I thought up until he dropped the, the meme um, about going to my friend's funeral, I thought he handled it pretty well. And, and diplomatically, um, not saying the, the meme wasn't handled well. It was just a, a course correction. But I would expect him to sort of be like, you know, we want him back. We realize it's a business. He made, he's the best version of our team has him. Almost regardless of whether or not that's how he's truly feeling, I just feel like he's going to take that diplomatic route at the beginning. I'm going to hold that thought for one moment and talk about our good friends at DraftKings Sportsbook because we're back with another week of football Birds are 3-0. Go Birds, obviously. Only a couple of days away from their next game. And DraftKings is keeping us in on the NFL action. Great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5, get $200 instantly in bonus bets, throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now. Sign up with code PHLY. New customers can bet just $5, get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code PHLY. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus age rights by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance eligibility and deposit restrictions apply so we've got a very lively debate in our chat right now about blowing it up they're not trading joel they're Embiid. not blowing it up uh, again uh, you can have this as a thought exercise that's fine like part of following a fan is 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 team building and debates it's just not going to happen daryl Morey is not going to trade the reigning mvp unless the reigning mvp demands that he be traded and even then, he'd probably kick his feet and see if Joel can I change was his say, mind. If we've seen anything based yeah. on the Ben and Jane it's situations. Not happening. So I want to focus on the Joel point you were just making, Derek. I think the fundamental difference, I know that Joel said most of the right things the first time around with Ben. Certainly the, the mask slipped a time or two yeah. prior to the trade. I think the fundamental difference right now is that Joel is not at all at odds with James, right. right? Everything that we've been told is that Joel would be happy and all his teammates would be happy to bring James back. Kumbaya, they're all on the boat together and they go out there and try to win as many games as possible this year. And so I think that if anything, the bigger concern and the bigger storyline with Joel heading into training camp and 
the beginning of the regular season is what does Joel think about the organization right now and how the organization is handling this and how much fault does he place on Daryl Morey for essentially saying to James, we have a limit with what we're going to pay you or how many right. years we're going to give you. Because that has had, whether you, I think we would agree, not giving Harden the full max, correct decision. Yep. Yeah, that that was the right thing to do. But it, the consequence of it is that the current short-term basketball stuff is bad. They don't have their co-star. They don't know what they're potentially going to be able to turn him into. And so this has had a direct effect on who Joel has to go to war with to start the season. And so Joel has mostly said the right things in the reporting from people like Ramona Shelburne, who is close with Joel and Joel's people. She has indicated, and we have heard from a lot of the same people, that he's on board up to this point. Where's the breaking point, though? And so the first conversation we'll have with Joel on Monday I think is really important to get a, a pulse on where he's at, if he's still campaigning for James to come back or if it's more resigned to his fate that James is leaving. And look, this is even more than James. I think the interesting thing with Joel, you show up to a Joel Embiid press availability and you can think you know what he's going to say. Yeah, and then sometimes yeah. <laughs> he just goes on a wild detour yeah. and says whatever the hell he's thinking at the time. And so that's, that's what I love about covering the guy. I might go in asking for a very basic answer on, you know, what happened in the fourth quarter. And then he goes on a two-minute tirade on the referees and Nikola Jokic and floppers or Nick Nurse. And we're going to see what he has to think about this whole yeah. thing. And it, it's going back to sort of like the conversation in, in there. You look at the other contending teams, like Giannis has Dame to work with. You know, the Suns, look at how stacked they are. Like, they're superstar upon superstar. They're, the Nuggets, are, maybe they're not quite the same household name, but, you know, Jokic has Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, and there's just more, there's, it's just different than a team, a Sixers team without James Harden. There's just not the same co-star firepower. And on the one hand, we can sit here and talk about Joel needs to be better. It's 100% true. But it's also true if Joel looks at the roster and goes, I don't have as much help as the, as the other superstars that are contending for a title. You need to get me that help. It's a fair perspective for him to have. You know, I think right now he certainly does have the perspective of he will give Maury time. But you always wonder, well, how much, what does that actually mean? How, how long until he reaches his tipping point? How he responds, you know, on Monday and throughout the rest of the week when he's peppered with questions about James not being there, if that ends up being the case will give us a window into how he's really feeling, more so than we've gotten up to this point, at least. And I'll say this, too. So Drew Holiday is obviously a big point of conversation right now. Joel watches a lot of basketball, right? Yep. Like A lot of our press availabilities are delayed because Joel's sitting at his locker with his phone, watching something on League Pass, studying the game, all that. I think he knows, as good as Drew Holiday is, if Drew Holiday comes here the let's call it 15, 16 games that we assume Joel will probably yep. miss at some point during the season, their odds of being able to win those games without Joel go down compared to if they just had happy Harden. Like whatever you, ha whatever you say about James, he was able to keep them afloat, him and Tyrese being there as like the, the foundation on the nights that Joel was not available. It makes a big difference. Having a true – you can just give the ball to James. He might be able to go out there, score 30. I mean, he scored 40 in game one of a playoff series in the second round. So 
that element you would lose if you're swapping Harden out for whether it's Drew or another player of that caliber. Now, you might have a more harmonious team. You might get some gains on defense. And as I said yesterday, you're comparing a guy who's going to be disruptive and doesn't want to be here to a guy in Drew who's one of the most yep, valued most guys in the league yep. in terms of locker room, professionalism, all that stuff. So he Drew, for all the things that he is, is not a second star. And I think Joel, even if he would accept having a guy and you know value having a guy like drew i think he i'm curious to see how he would react compared to having you know james harden <laughs> former mvp on the team yeah two two i want to highlight two comments sort of from from the chat and again if you're not subscribed join us during these live chats we try to make it a little bit interactive brandon b mentioning that Embiid will get a supermax in the future he's not going anywhere that's not that's not assurance that he's not going anywhere. Say, it just means seen... he's signing that contract. You saw that with Dame. Yes. You can't rest on that as a get-out-of-jail-free card. You still have to build a competitive team around him. Otherwise, he will sign that extension and request to be traded. It's pretty clearly the pathway that superstars in the NBA will take if they have to. Another one from Bill Morris. He's just saying that um, basically if they wait until they ask out, then you're screwed. It's not really the case. You've seen, again, when superstars ask out, you can get value. The most precious commodity in the and in the NBA, I can speak, I promise, is having that superstar. If he is healthy when he asks out, you will still get value for him. Will you get top value? Maybe not. Maybe there's an extra unprotected pick that you could have gotten if you traded him at the apex of value versus waiting to ask out. But is that one extra draft pick that you can get worth giving up a year, two years, three years of trying to make a run with an MVP caliber player? You don't get MVPs often. I feel like this goes on, like, I feel like people take this for granted just because they currently have one. It is tough. Go through the history of the, the Sixers. Moses, AI, Embiid. There are big gaps in between those. It is real and then tough. Wilt before that. Yeah, so it is real tough to get somebody who actually gives you a chance. So do they have a clear pathway? No. And that's frustrating as all hell. I get it. I get it. They should not be in this spot. It kills me that they wasted so many prime chances. But you're waiting for one more stroke of luck. One more player to become available. One more step from, from, from Tyrese Maxey. One more draft pick that you didn't expect to be good turning out. You need one more stroke of good luck to give you a real chance of competing with a unique opportunity to have an MVP on your roster. that Giving that up, giving two or three more years of that up isn't worth one extra draft pick to maximize his value. It's just, and, and there's, and again, we're, this is an academic debate because Daryl Morey would quit, I think, before he would trade Joel Embiid. It's not going to happen. And I, honestly, it shouldn't happen. And I want to build off that point, Derek. Even having an MVP, it's still hard to win. Like, if you go back just through the Sixers history, right? Julius Irving, when he joins the Sixers is at that point had a strong case as he's the best basketball player in the world, right? He's a multi-time MVP in the ABA, a champion with the Nets, comes there. He teams up with George McGinnis, who, again, was one of the best players in the entire ABA. They go to the finals. They lose to Portland in kind of awful fashion. They go up 2-0 and then lose four straight. And then they run into a wall for years. Julius is 
basically human metronome during that yep. time period, right? Where he's putting up 24, 25 a game, seven way, rebounds, five assists. He had some really good teammates during that time, too. Very good team. Yeah. Daryl Dawkins, Andrew Tony, Mo Cheeks. Very good team, along with one of the best basketball players in the world. And it's, Moses, oh. separately, is winning multiple MVPs in Houston, and he's not able to do anything. And it's only when they combine these two yep. first ballot Hall of Fame type guys that they're able to win a single championship, yep. one title. And I'm not diminishing that at all, but that is how difficult it is to win one of those with two guys who many people would say are all-time like franchise talents, right? Yep. And then you go to AI. AI in 2001 has one of the – it's like the season that I remember as a basketball fan growing up as a kid. It's like what got me into the sport. And they go on this storybook run – and people have all this fondness for that season for winning a single game in the finals. And they never came close again, despite having that same guy who was capable of 40 point games, 50 point games against high level teams in the playoffs. They were lost in the wilderness the second that they traded that guy away and they didn't emerge from it, frankly, until they got Joel Embiid and he gave them a floor to start from. And so all that is to say, the second that they tear this thing down, and it'll only be when Joel decides he wants out, they are going to have to wander through the wilderness for a while. And so you do whatever you possibly can to keep a good team around this guy. Yep. No, I agree. And it's, you know, on the one hand, I think there's fair criticism because you need Joel Embiid. We just, I mean, we spent the last, like, 20 minutes of the last podcast saying you need Joel Embiid to be better. When we were talking about, the, or there's two podcasts ago, when we were talking about Daryl Morey. Like, if your MVP is not playing at an MVP level in the playoffs, you didn't have a chance. I'm not sure it was much that Daryl Morey could have done to change that. So on the one hand, you need him to be better. On the other hand, you he does really need a second, you know, all-NBA caliber player alongside of him, and you really need that be a perimeter scoring threat. Your first column at PHLY was you need Joel Embiid to be averaging like 24, 25 points per yeah. game. You need a as good or better perimeter scoring threat to play alongside of him that can really facilitate the offense, and that comes down to, you know, the fact that Joel Embiid hasn't developed enough as a playmaker, and the Sixers as a team just hasn't done enough with their assets to get the right player around him. And you took a shot with James Harden. I think we've seen over the last two years that he doesn't have it all enough left as a scorer and a half-court scorer specifically to put that kind of pressure on the rim that you need him to in order to not only score but create shots for his teammates. So you tried. You gave it your best effort with Harden. But it's a risky effort because that's all the assets you had left. Like that was You, you didn't have a perfect clean solution because you fumbled the bag on so many different number one picks and cap, max cap space backup centers and all the other things that we've relitigated a million times. So it's partly on Joe, but it's a lot on team building to the point where now you're desperate. And that just brings us all back to just because it hasn't worked out doesn't mean the best course of action is to get rid of Joe to get one more extra pick out of the trade hall. And again, I'm going to go back to it. Even if you wait two years and Joe Embiid asks, you know, demands a trade, you're going to get a lot of value back in a trade because you have Joe Embiid. Unless he, you know, blows out a knee or breaks a foot, which, you know, obviously isn't off the table, but with the way his career has gone, he hasn't really had those catastrophic injuries, knock on wood. It's always been little stuff that pops up in, you know, March, April, and May. Barring that, you will get value back in Joel Embiid trade. You don't have to time it perfectly. The one sort of caveat I would apply, like let's say 
someone would have traded the number one pick in the last draft. Okay, when you're targeting a very specific prospect, maybe that changes my stance on this, but you're not at that point now. You won't be at that point at the trade deadline. So just focus your efforts on building around Joel Embiid. It's, your, it's not a great path to a title at this point. It should be a lot better than it is, but it is currently your best path. In an ideal world, one of those high-value draft picks they made after selecting him would have turned into the perimeter guy that they needed to be essentially the end-of-game, half-court offense player. And Joel's trajectory changes from, okay, he has to become you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, basically, for them to win a title. Instead, it could have been he can be Hakeem defensively and then not be the focal point of the offense if... Ben Simmons ever decided he wanted to shoot a ball if Markel Fultz's career hadn't gone completely off the rails from basically day one. Those are all inflection points that directly impacted what Joel needed to do in order to try to win games. And he deserves credit for his game shifting and all the yep. all the changes he's made, you know, moving out to the elbows and doing all these different tweaks so he can be the best offensive player he can be. The reality is it's hard to win that way as a big man in the playoffs. And so he's still an ultra valuable player that I think can be part of a title winning team. But as it stands right now, they need that guy, whether it's Maxi making a giant leap or they're trading for somebody who can be that guy to supplement him. That's the missing piece right now. It's sort of what I love about doing a live show because this was not on our bingo card today. No. Like we did not have this in the rundown and we've gotten on a 20 minute tangent. But, you know, I think it's something that maybe we have a large portion of the fan base has felt this way. Certainly immediately after that loss, they felt this way. And there was a lot of argument about that. So it's probably something worth addressing as we go into the season. Yeah. And we are having some spirited debates in the comments today. Yeah, I can't even to, keep to up. I've least. probably been distracted. I haven't heard every word that you said, which isn't that bad. I hear you speak a lot That's but true. because I've been trying to follow along in the chat. Well, let's take a quick Quick palate cleanse, quick break, and we'll talk about our friends. The Game Time app. You know, look, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. I know, especially the Eagles are a really hot ticket right now. We'll see with the Sixers. Certainly, Philly's playoff games are going to be very tough to get. But the Game Time app is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for any playoff game, regular season game comedy shows, theater, concerts, anything you might want to get to, you go to the GameTime app, they'll be able to help you out. GameTime is the place for last-minute ticket deals, and it's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. That's honestly probably my favorite part of the GameTime app. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, you're set, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email in order to find those tickets. I know I have problems with service and Wi-Fi as I'm all throughout this city, yeah. so that's a, getting them directly to my phone. That's a wonderful thing. So snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app. Create an account. Use code PHLY. $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY. $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We have Tian in the chat saying that the vibe is we are screwed, or at least that's his vibe. <laughs> that's fine as long as you keep tuning in. You know. Yeah, I, had, we'll I actually had somebody it. say to me the other day that they hate the team and they love the podcast. So that's, that works. That works. Honestly, that's fine with me. If you guys keep tuning in and, and 
don't like the team at all, as long as we still keep building this community and family and the chat yeah. and through our audio feeds and what have you, I'm, I'm happy with that. But I certainly would prefer that all of us had a good basketball team to watch. And yeah. so I think some of the other stuff we're going to get to is focused on, I guess, the developments of the rest of the basketball team that is not James Harden and Joel Embiid. Yeah. You know, I think probably there's been a lot of talk about Paul Reed playing alongside of Joel Embiid. I sort of want to see where Nick Nurse is at with that. Because we can talk to him on or off record. We'll do so next week. But, like, does he actually go out and make that a priority early on in camp? Do they run those sets? Is it something where it's like, all right, well, we'll have Paul come into camp, and if he's shooting well, then we'll give it more time? Or is it something that we're going to try to establish from day one and see whether or not it succeeds or fails? How much of a priority is that for him? Because I do look at it, and they have three playable centers right now, which is really weird to say. Uh, you know, I feel like for years and years and years we complained about – Trez and Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan. Now they have three guys who, to varying degrees, I trust for at least small stints on the basketball court yeah. and bring something unique, whether that's, you know, Paul Reed and maybe his short roll game or Mobamba as sort of like the pick and pop rim protector. And Joel Embiid obviously is completely unique. So is he going to make it a priority to get them all on the court? How does it look? Or is it something where if they just like all sort of like show a little more in terms of their perimeter game then he'll you know put it in there so here's one question i have with regards to paul reed how how much worse will he be on offense not having james harden to spoon feed him yep. baskets i think that's probably an underrated part of why paul was able to establish that role at the end of the season and certainly james's trust in paul at the end of the year is why they were he was able to establish that role and just win it outright, right? Because as we've talked about, Trez and his relationship with James was part of why, not all of why, but part of why Trez was in the rotation at the beginning of last season. And certainly you saw a lot of frustration from teammates toward Paul Reed at the start. There was a few blow-ups between George Niang and Paul specifically because they fought for rebounds and ended up losing them to the other team. Which is funny because I kind of wish that George would fight for rebounds we'll fight a little bit more. when his teammate's not involved, yeah. So offensively, I'm interested to see, you know, can Tyrese or can, you know, fill in whatever guard they might get instead of James Harden develop that chemistry and synergy with Paul to get him some decent looks. Now you're certainly not running the offense through Paul, so... Not a huge concern. As you say, the bigger point of intrigue is, is Paul going to be able to space the floor? Yep. Is Paul a reliable, trustworthy shooter? And frankly, one of the things I'm interested in, Derek, is where are they going to put him? Like, where is his spot? I think, you know, we've seen with Joel, he loves that trail spot as a three-point shooter, even though that's a, I'd say a lower value shot overall, lower percentage shot for a three-point shooter. Some of that is just how he comes up the floor in transition and settles into that. I would guess they try to stick Paul in one of the corners. It's just an easier shot to take. But, yep. you know, I don't know what his off-season repertoire has looked like. And if you leave Paul in a trail spot, it would be difficult for double teams and things. But if he misses it, at least you, in theory, 
have him back on defense and transition to maybe contest some stuff on the other end. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when we look at these bigs, we tend to overstate how much they actually space the floor. Yeah. Like we will see a seven-foot guy like make an occasional three and go, oh, he's a floor spacer now. Whereas the burden of teams actually giving a shit about you shooting out there is really high. And will you pull that trigger quickly? Will you take it, you know, all of your attempts that you have out there that are open? If not, they will help off you and feel like they can recover. And for the most part, most of these big men don't actually provide much in terms of gravity. Even someone like Mo Bamba, Mo Bamba's made 38% of his threes the last two years on decent volume. He's not really stretching the floor because he's going to pass up as many shots as he takes. It is going to be real tough for a guy in Paul Reed who just really hasn't made any perimeter shots at an NBA level to come in here and space the floor on day one. Like if he's going to play right now with Joel Embiid, he's probably going to have his defender in Embiid's lap and he would have to make a pretty monumental leap. Is Nick nurse willing to give him enough time to prove defenses that he has made that leap or will he run out of it pretty quickly? I think this is one case where Nick nurse is going to experiment way more than doc rivers ever would. And again, I've been on record on his podcast saying I don't necessarily believe that Paul Reed, I'm not ready to pencil Paul Reed in as a floor stretching four, but I think Nick Nurse is going to give him a much better chance to try. Yeah, and look, all of this is in service of the whole reason you experiment with something like this and try to give Paul opportunities is because the defensive pairing makes a ton of sense, right? To have those two guys as... Nick Nurse's plan, as far as you and I understand it right now, is that the guards and the wings are going to play a lot more pressure defense and I think try to funnel things toward whoever their length is. Certainly it's going to be Joel Embiid, but also guys like Paul, guys like Mo Bamba at the rim. And if you have two of those guys on the floor at once, certainly I think Paul is a guy who's athletic enough that he can collapse to the middle of the floor and then you know, shoot back out to a corner shooter and make sure that that's covered after a guy kicks out on a short roll or on a drive. And so if you can help Joel out with the rim protection, help Joel out with the rebounding, I think that's a big, big deal for them just to be able to end more possessions cleanly and quickly and get out and run in transition. There's definitely defensive upside there, but you have to make it work in a half-court setting on offense, or none of that really matters. Yeah, and look, Paul has he's made shots, perimeter shots in the G League. Like, he was making one yeah. and a half per game in the G League. He's made three in his entire NBA career. And that goes to the point, it's not just can you make a wide-open shot in an empty gym, which is essentially what you're doing in the G League, but can you do it when you have NBA defenders closing out? And if they feel like they can help off of you and close out and force you to not take that shot, that's a big step. Is he showing any signs of making that? I think it'll be real, uh, real interesting. Because that's yeah. one thing where you can talk about it all offseason. You can put up a you know, video of you doing it in a Rico Hines run or a gym. Can you do it in the NBA? We won't really know next week, but we'll get some good indications. Yeah, look, we don't know anything based on... I tell this all the time. I actually grew up with a guy who played in the NBA. He's maybe like six years older than I am, something like that. And... Small role player in the NBA, played at Notre Dame. And then he would come home and do camps and do things like play pickup in our hometown. 
and he looks like Michael Jordan. Yep. Essentially. No, I and went to I went to high school with Aaron Gray. Yeah. And uh, he would Matt look. Matt Carroll is who I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. went to my high school. So. He looked like he's the most dominant player I've ever. Oh, seen. it's unbelievable. So these yeah. guys leave an NBA floor and they're willing to try things. They're able to try things, and they just dominate lower levels of competition. And then you see them in a game, and it's like, well, that guy just stands in the corner and shoots a catch and shoot three once every. 15 possessions or in Aaron Gray's case it's just like yeah he, he'll get like four rebounds in 10 minutes or whatever it is so I remember early on watching Spencer Hawes go through like a shooting drill and it was like he couldn't miss and this was like a mediocre shooter but like in an empty gym he looked like the best shooter I've ever seen in my life and you just realize real early on like all of these guys it's just a completely different game when there's the pressure and the timing of doing it against defenders. Yeah, so to that point, the, probably a good transition into one of the other things that you and I are looking forward to is you know, who from that group of young guys mm-hmm. might actually be able to step into... We have a comment here about uh, Springer taking Pat Bev's minutes. I would love for that to happen. I would lo- I'm not sure I'm ready to buy in, but I would love for that to happen because I've said multiple times he can be an impact NBA defender right, right now. now. You just need him to have a find a role offensively that you can live with. I would love, and every every team, especially every like contending or championship team, has players who take that completely unexpected jump. That's happened already once for the Sixers and Maxi. They need someone else to take a jump. And for Springer, that's not becoming Tyrese Maxi. That's never going to be his skill set. But if he can show off his defensive skills by being competent enough offensively, that would be a massive win for the Sixers. It'd be huge, massive. And look, I I think if we said this the other day. He's the betting favorite of the young guys that he might be able to establish a role early just because, as you say, he's an NBA-level defender right now. And Nick Nurse looks at that and says, I can plug this guy in and I know exactly what I can do with him right now. I think you can put him next to you know, most of the guys that they're going to play in the backcourt this year. He fits next to guys like Tyrese, certainly, but also Pat Bev and Melton and all these other guys. Now, I don't know how they create in those lineups but if you want to play just defense first we're all all toughness all athleticism I think Jaden has a real chance to stick if he can hit those catch and shoot jumpers and honestly it's even less than hitting them early that'll matter more in the playoffs I just want to see quick releases I don't want to see hesitation I don't want to see him second guessing himself just let it fly dude because you know if you're going to get minutes this year, but the team has to believe that you're not going to record scratch in the way that Matisse Thibel and other guys, I mean, even Tobias Harris, who's a much better shooter, the way those guys have in the past. So I think the message from Nurse and Rico and Bobby and these other guys on the coaching staff has to be, we don't care if you miss shots as long as you keep taking them. Yeah. They got to keep his confidence high. And we see, I've seen a lot of, of people, uh, readers, listeners, Mentioned that Doc will give young players, or not Doc, <laughs> Nick Nurse will give young players more rope than Doc. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I do think he will give them more rope in terms of shooting and missing shots. Like, I think they will be more focused on let it fly, whereas Doc, maybe, like, if you missed one or two, that might impact your playing time, especially someone like maybe Paul Reed, but also apply to Jaden Springer as well. Yeah, so uh, so Alex is in the chat asking if we'll be potting from Media Day or CSU. Yes. We will be... Back here after Media Day, we will be doing interviews and things at Media Day. And Derek and I will both be at CSU. So we'll be doing some remote broadcasts from there next week. We'll keep you guys 
in tune with what's happening out in Colorado, whether that's James Harden uh, melting down the arena there or just a bunch of boring stuff. We'll see. It'd be pretty entertaining if you melted down the arena. Yeah. I mean, I it's still not, have for a hard me, time. it's going to be exciting either way. I'm interested to see how Nurse sets up and all that. But it's, you know, opinions may vary yeah. on what people are in it for. Yep. All right. I guess before we get to the last couple here, uh, we have to hear from FOCO. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. And with us now squarely in football and tailgating season, it means it's time for overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, everything you need for a game. FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use the promo code PHLY for 10% off. All right, I guess what's uh, what's up next on the... Well, what so I would say for? it's the other young players. I guess Turk would be the other main guy. I, had, I know he's a two-way guy. I had 100% conviction you were going to bring him up. Well, of course. You know, yeah. it's um, somebody actually said the other day that the fan group for him will be called the Young Turks. I really like that. Shout out to Rod Stewart. Great, great song from back in the day. So I'm excited to see what Turk looks like at this camp. I would say I'd be more excited what he looks like if they end up trading for Drew Holiday <laughs> because, as yeah. I said the other day, I think someone like that offers Turk cover for what his weaknesses are and allows him to show all his strengths, right? You, you put a guy who can handle the ball, run the offense for, you know, bench groups and what have you, and Turk can just stand 30 feet away from the basket and launch every single time he has an opportunity. Yep. And I do think, look, I keep talking him up, but internally we've seen or we've heard from people in the organization, they do seem to be a little higher on him than you would expect for a two-way guy, or at least I would say during Daryl Morey's tenure, two-way guys. They bring yeah. a lot of people in, but we don't really – it's like, yeah, it's, it's a, they're a developmental project. They're nice. I think they, what they saw from Turk at Summer League and what they've seen from, you know, certainly having Rico Hines running those games out in L.A. Right. and having an, a coach's eyes there on him, what they've seen out there, I think they're bullish on him for now. Now, whether that holds up on an NBA floor, completely different story. Yeah, and, you know, I think with Turk, it is – You've seen this 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 organization actually have pretty decent success using the G League and with these two-way guys. Shake Milton was initially on a two-way deal. Um, Paul Reed was initially on a two-way deal. So they have had success, certainly of the three guys that they have on two-way contracts now. And again, if you're kind of tuned out throughout the course of the offseason, they now have three two-way slots instead of two. Um, I think he is the one that presents the most upside and the most intrigue. Probably is the closest to contributing, even though he weighs like 115 pounds. And Ricky Council, is crazy. He's going to need very about small. 100 protein shakes. I joke, but he's like, what, 165, I think, was his yeah. weight at the combine. Um, so that's going to be tough. But even though Rick, like Ricky Council has a lot defensively, I think he can contribute almost from day one. The jump shot so far away that I have, like, I was really impressed with Turk in terms of his ability to, you know, just contribute in a multitude of ways. Like I said, I think he was a little better of a passer than I was maybe expecting. I think he was a little better in terms of 
moving his feet defensively. Now he's going to get smashed by every screen that he comes near. But I think he has at least some tools where if you can figure out how to navigate that size and physicality, there is an NBA player in there. I just want to see how it translates to NBA size, speed, athleticism, and physicality. Well, and certainly in the regular season, by the way, we've seen Joel have plenty of success with guys who can't defend but are, can yeah. shoot the ball. So I would be more concerned about Turk in you know, the high-stakes high games, playoff games certainly, but also against better opponents. I think giving him minutes against you know the Detroits, the Charlottes, the the yep. the teams that are not going to be in the playoffs or or even fringe playoff teams, I'm not worried about them. If you juice up the offense around Joel and the spacing around Joel in a regular season context, he's good enough that he can prop you up defensively and make it worth playing guys like Turk in those minutes. No, you put Turk in the playoffs and Kevin Herter is going to post him up yeah. relentlessly to the point where you're waiting on doc to adjust and he never does. But if you put him in a regular season, you can at least get a gauge of his skill set and how it translates and whether or not it's, you know, worthwhile to make a multi, maybe a multi-year investment in keeping him around either on an NBA contract or on a two-way contract to see if he can develop physically. You can at least make a, like I said, a projection on whether or not it's worth that kind of investment. Because traditionally, the Sixers, even though they've had these success stories, it's usually one and done. You spend one year on a two-way, and then you get converted. That's what Shake Milton did. That's what Paul Reed did. I think with some of these guys, Turk and Ricky Council specifically, it might take a year or two to get to the point. You have to determine whether or not they have that kind of NBA upside to make it worthwhile. Yeah, well, we did want to get into the veteran guys at the end of the bench at some point there is a bit of a debate in the chat today about drew holiday versus kyle lowry for some reason look kyle lowry five years ago maybe we could have a discussion here and i love kyle like great dude great leader all that stuff if you guys watched him play last year no, you would have no yeah. no illusions that he's got a lot left in the tank and in all honesty that. like he's probably lowry is probably a useful tool to look at and how drew's next contract might age yeah. you know when in his 33 age 33 season 2019 20 19.4 points and 7.5 assists then 17 and 7 then 13 and 7 and 11 and 5 that is sort of like the aging curve you're probably looking at with drew now maybe drew's a little better in terms of physical tools like he's a couple inches taller longer wingspan he might age a little more gracefully but you will see that kind of decline um, for, to prefer Kyle Lowry at 37 going on 38 over Drew, who just turned 33. Like that's, people complain about the Sixers being old. Kyle Lowry would be like properly old. Drew Holiday's just getting old. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I said yesterday, Drew is only 33 and doesn't turn 34 until the, end of the, the NBA Finals, essentially. So he's not as old as you might think now that doesn't mean that his athleticism is going to hold up right like all right. all guys age differently but i do think he's a a pro's pro takes care of himself and so i would feel okay about giving him his next deal it obviously depends on what it costs club saying shams is saying that the sixers were going hard after drew holiday i haven't actually seen that report but i have no doubt like every yeah. piece of intel i've gotten is that they are definitely interested it's just whether or not they will have a the the best package to offer yeah and again i do i think the clippers are the team that scare me probably the most at this point if i'm the sixers i i think there are issues with the Boston, like how the Celtics would put together financially, that trade package. They would, well, and financially, like keeping all four of Drew, you know, 
Brown, Tatum, and Porzingis. And Porzingis already locked in. He signed that extension this summer. Keeping all four of them around would be very tough while staying under the second apron. Yeah, and all indications are so far that the Heat are not really in the mix. So if you take the Heat out and say, Boston, it's a tough path to getting him, there's only really a couple other teams that can that want to and can make a real offer for Drew. So I would say, I don't, again, I don't think they're the favorites or the outright favorites, but they're in a very small group of teams that I think has a real chance to get them. And I think it might get done one way or another before media day. Like I think it might be sometime in the next few days. Yeah. It's certainly a, certainly a chance. Um, All right. I guess where, where do you want to pivot? You wanted to talk about the Yeah, just the like which of the, the old fogies are <laughs> going to do anything. Are we including Mobamba in that group? He's only, he's not nah, an old fogey. Well, he's a okay. veteran. We, but he's we not. could amend it to which of the one-year minimum yeah. guys. What uh, are we going to see from them at camp, number one? I think it's two separate <laughs> questions, right? It's like, what do these guys have to offer during the season? Yeah. But also, is Pat Bev going to be just chewing people out at training camp and getting in fights with P.J. Tucker because they just seem like two guys who are buttheads. Yeah. It's going to be fun, man. And look, Danny Green will be Mr. Pacifist and tie everybody together. So they have a decent mix of personalities at least. But couple, couple pretty good podcasters in that group. That's true. Maybe we could convince yeah. one of them to come on the show at some point. Look, I individually, I like almost everyone they signed just from a couple years ago. Like, I was probably bigger on Danny Green when he was here than most Sixers fans. I think I feel like those kind of, like, catch-and-shoot shooters who really only shoot and play defense, it's real easy to get annoyed with because even the good shooters miss 60% of the time and even the best defenders get beat a lot. And he was, you know, starting to slow down at that point. But what I saw with Cleveland last year wasn't the most encouraging. Now he's got more time to come off of that injury, so maybe we give him a chance. <sighs> Pat Bev, like I used to really like that pesky defender, but he was so bad offensively that he's tough to really believe in. But they really need him because they need more ball handling on his team, especially unless or until they get true. And Kelly Oubre, like, my God, do they need a little bit of juice and athleticism on the wing. Yeah, like you and I both don't really like Kelly as a general idea. But I think on this team, given the the lack of length and athleticism they have and lack of true wing players they have, it's going to help to have at least some degree of shot creation from someone who's taller than 6'2 or shorter than Joel 7 feet. I want to point out, uh, William in the chat said the return of Drew will bring the failed process full circle. The man never should have gotten been gotten rid of in the first place. If you don't trade Drew, you don't have Joel Embiid. Yeah. They traded Jude drew to lose more games and that directly led to having enough ping pong balls to get Joel Embiid. Yeah, look, uh, if they had been able to identify any point guard in the next half decade after they traded him, we're not even having to have this conversation, but things have gone sideways since they traded him on that front. So maybe maybe they need to reacquire him because there's a curse that needs to be lifted. You can convince me of that, honestly. Yeah. I love Drew. It's just you needed to lose games at that point. Like, losing games wasn't the problem there. It was the 18 failed decisions they made after that point. Yeah, there, there are so many different ways that they could have not it's screwed so frustrating. this up over it's the so years. And that's what, that's what I'm sure has caused a lot of the anger that we feel each and every day on this show. And I guess my final question is, is Kyle Newbeck going to get in a little 
Tuffle here at, at camp. If oh, you've thanks. ever had to deal with Kyle, he is a pain in the ass. They yeah. can get under your skin. Well, it might be, I don't know, Derek it might and I be, spend a it lot, might be me lot of time him. together yeah. now. And, you know, That's it's my final question. Look, we're going to spend a lot of time together this <laughs> next week. Um, we'll see. If one of us comes back with a black and blue eye, you know what happened. Oh, I, no punches will be thrown by <laughs> me. And Derek said he was a pacifist the other day. So I, I can't imagine anything will go awry. But, look, we've had a great time these last... I guess what three weeks, three weeks. I was going to say two and a half, but that's because I took a vacation the first that week true. that we were on the job. I'd, I've had a blast doing this for last few weeks and getting started here. And now I think we'll start to settle into our more of our normal rhythm with, you know, covering practices. We're going to have lots of pre and post game shows after games. That'll start, you know, first preseason game. And we'll go from there. But, you know, thank you to all these people, even the people that are arguing Bill, Brandon, Will, Cashber, Randy, Alex. We have so many people that have been sounding off today. So uh, thank you guys for being here. Hit that thumbs up and the subscribe on the way out. And Derek, I will see you at the practice facility on Monday. Sounds good. 